Hello everybody, this is Danny Ruel. I'm Danny Ruel on YouTube. I'm Danny Ruel on almost all platforms. So you can follow me if you please. Like, share, and subscribe. The purpose of this episode is to talk about what's going on in today's current events. Yesterday we talked about counterfeiting stocks. And I would like to read... Um, Counterfeiting Stocks 2.0 for uh, the listening audience. So maybe you can get a better understanding at how the stock market is manipulated and how Wall Street does things in order so that they will never lose. They always say the house never loses. And this is how they set it up. This is a short... uh, I guess essay on illegal stock trading from counterfeitingstock.com explaining illegal naked short selling and stock manipulation. These are terms that uh, you should all do your due diligence and learn and read. I'm not a financial advisor, nor do I propose myself to be, but I want to learn about it. Because this is how, you know, uh, certain sections of people keep generational wealth. And everybody should be, in, everyone should be uh, entitled, all Americans should be entitled to to uh, take the opportunities of, of becoming uh, wealthy based upon the stock market. And it's supposed to be a free market, but it's going to be exposed that it isn't. And if it is exposed, it may cause the, the entire system to crash. If that's what is meant to happen, then so be it. Then maybe a more fair system will be created. Without further ado, I'm going to read this white paper for you guys, my listening audience. And hopefully everybody's doing well. Explaining illegal naked shorting and stock manipulation. Counterfeiting Stock 2.0. Illegal naked shorting and stock manipulation are two of Wall Street's deep dark secrets. These practices have been around for decades and have resulted in trillions of dollars being fleeced from the American public by Wall Street. In the process, many emerging companies have been put out of business. This report will explain the magnitude of the problem, how it happens, why it has been covered up, and how short sellers attack a company. It will also show how all of the participants, the short hedge funds, the prime brokers, and the Depository Trust Clearing Corp, DTC, make unconscionable profits while fleecing the small American investor continues unabated. Why is this important? This problem affects the investing public, whether invested directly in a stock market or mutual funds, IRA, retirement or pension plans that hold stock. It touches the majority of Americans. The participants in this fraud, which when fully exposed will make Enron look like child's play, have been very successful in manipulating and maintaining a veil of secrecy and impenetrability. 
Congress and the SEC have unknowingly question mark helped keep this closet door closed. The public rarely knows when its pocket is being picked as unexplained drops in stock prices and stock price gets chalked up to market forces when they are often market manipulations. The stocks most frequently targeted are those of emerging companies who went to the stock market to raise startup capital. Small business brings the vast majority of innovative new ideas and products to market and creates the majority of new jobs in the United States. It is estimated that over 1,000 of these emerging companies have been put into bankruptcy or had their stock driven to pennies by predatory short sellers. It is important to understand that selling a stock short is not an investment in American enterprise. A short seller makes money when the stock price goes down and that money comes solely from investors who have purchased the company's stock. A successful short manipulation takes money from investment in American enterprise and diverts it to feed Wall Street's insatiable greed. The company that was attacked is worse off and the investing public has lost money. Frequently, frequently this profit is diverted off to diverted to offshore tax havens and no taxes are paid. This national disgrace is a parasite on the greatest capital market in the world. A glossary of illogical terms, the securities industry has its own jargon, laws and practices that may require explaining. Most of these concepts are the creation of the industry and while they are promoted as practices that ensure an orderly market, they are also exploited as manipulative tools. This glossary is limited to naked short abuse or counterfeiting stock as it is more correctly referred to. Number one, broker dealer or prime broker. The big stock brokers who clear their own transactions, which is to say they move transacted shares between their customers directly or with the DTC. Small brokers were clear through a clearinghouse, also known as a broker's broker. Number two, hedge funds. Hedge funds are really unregulated investment pools for rich investors. They have grown exponentially in the past decade and now number over 10,000 and manage over $1 trillion. They don't register with the SEC, are virtually unregulated and frequently foreign domiciled, yet they are allowed to be market makers with access to all of the naked shorting loopholes. Frequently, they operate secretively and collusively the prime brokers cater to the hedge funds and allegedly receive eight to ten billion dollars annually in fees and charges related to stocks lend to short hedge funds number three market maker a broker a broker dealer or hedge fund who makes market in the stock in order to be a market maker 
they must always have shares available to buy and sell. Market makers get certain sweeping exemptions from the SEC rules involving naked shorting. Number four, a short seller, an individual hedge fund, broker or institution who sells stock short. The group of short sellers is referred to as the shorts. Number five, the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC is the federal enforcement agency that oversees the securities markets. The top level management is a five person board of governors who are presidential appointees. Three of the governors are usually from the securities industry, including the chairman. The SEC adopted regulation SHO in January 2005 in an attempt to curb naked short abuse. Number six, Depository Trust Clearing Corp, usually known as the DTCC. This privately held company is owned by prime brokers and it clears, transacts, and quote, holds most stock in this country. It has four subsidiaries, which include the DTC and the NCSS. The operation of this company is described in detail later. Number seven, short sale. Selling a stock short is a way to make a profit while the stock price declines, period. For example, if an investor, if investor S wishes to sell short, he borrows a share from the account of investor L. Investor S immediately sells that share on the open market. So investor S now has the cash from the sale in his account. And investor L has an IOU from the share from investor S. When the stock price drops, investor S takes some money from his account and buys the share called covering, which he returns to the investor L's account. Investor S books a profit and investor L has his share back. This relatively simple process is perfectly legal so far. The investor lending the share most likely doesn't even know the share left his account since it's all electronic and occurs at the prime broker or DTC level. Let me say that again about shares. The invest about short selling. The investor lending the share most likely doesn't even know the share left his account since it's all electronic and occurs at the prime broker or DTC level. If shares are in a margin account, they may be loaned to short without the consent or knowledge of the account owner. If the shares are in cash, if the shares are in a cash account, IRA account or restricted shares, they are not supposed to be borrowed unless there is express consent by the account owner. Number eight, disclosed short. When a share has been borrowed or a suitable share has been located that can be borrowed, it is a disclosed short. Shorts are either naked or disclosed, but in reality, some disclosed shorts are really naked shorts as a result of fraudulent stock borrowing. Naked short. This is an invention of the securities industry 
that is a license to create counterfeit shares. In the context of this document, a share created that has the effect of increasing the number of shares that are in the market marketplace beyond the number issued by the company is considered counterfeit. This is not a legal conclusion since some shares we consider counterfeit are legal based upon today's rules. The alleged justification for naked shorting is to ensure an orderly and smooth market but all too often it is used to create a virtually unlimited supply of counterfeit shares which leads to stock widespread stock manipulation. The linchpin of this massive fraud returning to our example everything is the same is the same except the part of, about borrowing the share from someone else's account. There is no borrowed share. Instead, a new one is created by either the broker, dealer, or the DTC without a borrowed share behind the short sale. A naked short is really a counterfeit share. Fails to deliver. The process of creating shares via naked shorting creates an obvious imbalance in the market as the sell side is artificially increased with naked short sales, short sale shares, or more accurately, counterfeit shares. Time limits are imposed that dictate how long the sold share can be naked. For a stock market investor or trader, that time limit is three days. According to SEC rules, if the broker dealer has not located a share to borrow, they are supposed to take cash in the short account and purchase a share in the open market. This is called a buy-in and it is supposed to maintain the total number of shares in the market equal to the number of shares the company have issued. Market makers have special exemption from the rules. They are allowed to carry a naked short for up to 21 trading days before they have to borrow a share. When the share is not borrowed in the allotted time and the buy, the buy-in does not occur and they rarely do, the naked short becomes a fail to deliver of the borrowed share. Number 11, options. The stock market also has separate but related markets that sell options to purchase shares, a call, and options to sell shares, a put. Options are an integral part of short manipulations. The result of SEC promulgated loopholes in the reg SHO. A call shows as follows. Assume investor L has a share in his account that is worth $25. He may sell an option to purchase that share to a third party. That option will be at a specific price, say $30 and expires at a specific future date. Investor L will get some cash from selling this option. If at the expiration date, the market value of the stock is below $30, the strike price, the option expires as worthless and Investor L keeps the option payment. This is called out of the, out of the money. If the market value of the stock is above the strike price, then the buyer of the option calls the stock. Assume the stock has risen to $40. The option buyer tenders $30 to investor L and demands delivery of the share. 
which you may keep immediately yourself for a $10 profit. 12. Naked call. The same as above, except that investor L, who sells the call, has no shares in his account. In other words, he is selling an option on something he does not own. The SEC allows this. SEC rules also allow the seller of a naked short to treat the purchase of a naked call as a borrowed share, thereby keeping their naked short off the SEC fails to deliver list. A share of stock that has a naked call as its borrowed shares is marked as disclosed as a disclosed short when it is sold, even though nobody in the transaction actually owns the share. How the system transacts stocks. This explanation has been greatly simplified in the interest of brevity. Of brevity. Number one, customers. These can be individuals, institutions, hedge funds, and prime brokers' house accounts. Number two, prime brokers. They both interact and clear stocks for their customers. Examples of prime brokers include Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, Citigroup, Morgan Stanley, Bear Stearns, etc. The DTCC. This is the holding company that owns four companies that clear and keep track of most stock transactions. This is where brokerage accounts actually are large. The DTC division clears over a billion shares daily. The DTCC is owned by the prime brokers and as a closely held private enterprise, it is impenetrable. It actively and aggressively fights all efforts to obtain information regarding naked shorting with or without a subpoena. When the prime brokers sell directly to one another, circumventing the DTC, it's called X clearing. Stocks clear as follows. If customer A purchases if customer A1 purchases 10 shares of XYZ Corporation and customer A2 sells 10 shares, then the shares are transferred electronically with all within Prime Broker A. Record of the transaction is sent to the DCC. Likewise, if investor A1 A1 shorts 10 shares of XYZ Corp and investor A2 has 10 shares in a margin account, Prime Broker A borrows the shares from account A2 and for a fee lends them to A1. If A1 sells shares to customer B2 in order to get the shares to B2 and the money to A1, the transaction gets completed in the DTC. The same occurs for shares that are borrowed on a short sale between Prime Brokers. As a practical matter, what happens is Prime Broker A, at the end of the day, totals all of his shares of XYZ Own Corp and all of the XYZ shares brought and sold and clears the difference between the DTC. In theory, at the end of each day, when all of the Prime Brokers have put their net positions in XYZ stock through the system, they should all cancel out and the number of shares in DTC should equal the number of shares that XYZ has sold into market. This almost never happens because of the DTC stock borrow program, which is discussed later. Who are the participants in the fraud? The participants subscribe 
to the theory that it is much easier to make money tearing companies down than making money building them up. And they fall into two general categories. They partic- One, they participate in the process of producing the counterfeit shares that are the currency of the fraud and or two, they actively short and tears companies down. The counterfeiting of shares is done by participating prime brokers or the DTC, which is owned by prime brokers. A number of lawsuits that involve naked shorting have named about 10 of the prime brokers as defendants, including Goldman Sachs, Bear Stearns, Citigroup, Merrill Lynch, UBS, Morgan Stanley, and others. The DTCC has also been named in a number of lawsuits that allege stock counterfeiting. The identity of the shorts is somewhat elusive as the shorts obscure their true identity by hiding behind the prime brokers and or hiding behind the layers of offshore domicile shell corporations. Frequently, the money is laundered through banks in a number of tax haven countries before it finally reaches its ultimate beneficiary in New York, New Jersey, San Francisco, etc. Some of the hedge funds managers who are notorious shorters, such as David Rocker and Mark Cahodes, are very public about their shorting, although they frequently utilize offshore holding companies to avoid taxes and scrutiny. Most of the prime brokers have multiple offshore subsidiaries or captive companies that actively participate in shorting. The prime brokers also front the shorting of some pretty notorious investors. According to court documents or sworn testimony, if one followed some of the short money trails as Solomon Smith Barney, they led to accounts owned by the Gambino crime family in New York. A similar exercise with other prime brokers who cannot be named at this time leads to the Russian Mafia, the Cali Drug Cartel, Cartel, and other New York crime families, and the Hells Angels. One short hedge fund that was particularly destructive was a shell company domiciled in Bermuda. Subpoenas received by the Bermuda company was wholly owned by another shell company that was domiciled in another tax haven company country. This process was five layers deep and at the end of the subterfuge was a very well-known American insurance company that cannot be disclosed because of court order sealing of testimony. Most of the large security firms, insurance companies, and multinational companies have layers of offshore captives that avoid taxes, engage in activities that the company would not want to be publicly associated with, like stock manipulation avoid U.S. regulatory legal scrutiny and become the closest and have and become the closet for deals gone sour like Enron. The creation of counterfeit shares. There are a variety of names that security industry have dreamed up that are euphemisms for the counterfeit shares. Don't be fooled unless the short seller has actually borrowed a real share from the account of a long investor. The short sale is counterfeit. It doesn't matter what you call it, and it may become non-counterfeit if the share is later borrowed, but until then, there are more shares in the system than the company has sold. 
The magnitude of counterfeiting is hundreds of millions of shares every day. And it may be in the billions. The real answer is locked within the prime brokers and the DTC. Incidentally, counterfeiting of securities is as illegal as counterfeiting currency. But because it's all done electronically, has other identifiers and industry rules to practices, i.e. naked shorts, fails to deliver, SHO exempt, etc., the industry and regulators pretend it isn't counterfeiting. Also, because of the regulations that govern the securities, certain counterfeiting falls within the letter of the rules. The rules by design are fraught with loopholes and decidedly short on allowing companies and investors to access information about manipulations of their stock. I'm going to read that again. The magnitude of the counterfeiting is hundreds of millions of shares every day. It may be in the billions. The real answer is locked within the prime brokers and the DTC. Incidentally, counterfeiting of securities is as illegal as counterfeiting currency, but because it's all done electronically, has other identifiers and industry rules and practices, i.e. naked shorts, fails to deliver, SHO exempt, the industry and regulators pretend it isn't counterfeiting. Also, because of the regulations that govern security, certain counterfeiting falls within the letter of the rules. The rules by design are fraught with loopholes and decidedly short on allowing companies and investors to access to information about manipulations of their stock. The creation of counterfeit shares falls into three general categories. Each category has a plethora of devices that are used to create counterfeit shares. 1. Fails to deliver. If a short seller cannot borrow a share and deliver that share to the person who purchased the short share within the three day allowed for settlement of the trade, it becomes a fail to deliver and hence a counterfeit share. However, the share is transacted by the exchange and the DTC as if it was real. Regulation SHO implemented in January 2005 by the SEC was supposed to end wholesale fails to deliver, but all it did was cause the industry to exploit other loopholes of which there are plenty to see. Number two and three. Since forced buy, since forced buy-ins rarely occur, the other consequences of having failed to deliver are inconsequential, so it is frequently ignored. Enough fails to deliver in a given stock will get a stock on the SHO list, the SEC's list of stocks that have excessive fails to deliver, which should but rarely does see increased enforcement penalties amount to slap on the wrist so so large fails to deliver positions for victim companies have remained for months and years a major loophole that was intentionally left in reg sho was the grandfathering of the grandfathering in of all pre-sho naked shorting this rule is akin to selling bank robbers if you make it to the front door of the bank before the cops arrive, the theft is okay. 
Only the DTC knows for certain how many short sales are perpetual fails to deliver, but it is most likely in the billions. In 1998, REFCO, a large short hedge fund, filed bankruptcy and was unable to meet margin calls on their naked short sales. Under this scenario, the broker dealers are the next in line of financial responsibility. The number of shares that allegedly should have been brought was 400 million, but that probably never happened. The DTC owned by the broker's dealers just buried 400 million counterfeit shares in their system, where they allegedly remain grandfathered into legitimacy by the SEC. Because they are grandfathered into legitimacy, the SEC, DTC, and prime brokers pretend they are no longer fails to deliver even though the victim's companies have permanently suffered a 400 million share dilution in their stock. A significant amount of counterfeiting is the result of the options market's exemptions. The rule allows certain options contracts to serve as borrowed shares for short sales even though there is no company issued share behind the options contract. The loophole is easily abused, helped in part by the SEC's apparent inability to globally monitor compliance. There has been considerable pressure on the SEC to close the options market maker exemption, but through January 2008, they have refused to act. Three months prior to SHO, the aggregate fails to deliver on the NASDAQ and the NYSE New York Stock Exchange averaged about 150 million shares a day. Three months after SHO dropped it, by about 20 million as counterfeit shares found a new hiding place. It is noteworthy that the aggregate fails to deliver are the only indices in the only indication of counterfeit shares that the DTC and the prime brokers report to the SEC. The bulk of the counterfeiting remains undisclosed. So don't be deceived when the SEC and the industry minimize the fails to deliver information. It is akin to the lookout on the Titanic reporting the ice cube ahead. Two, X clearing counterfeiting. The second tier of counterfeiting occurs at the broker dealer level. This is called X clearing. These are trades that occur dealer to dealer and don't clear through the DTC. Multiple tricks are utilized for the purpose of disguising naked shorts that fails to deliver as disclosed shorts, which means that a share has been borrowed. They also make naked shorts invisible to the system so that they don't become fails to deliver, which is the only thing the SEC tracks. The SEC doesn't examine X clearing transactions as they don't believe that Reg SHO applies to short sales held in X clearing. Some of the tricks are as it follows. Stock sales are either a long sale or a short sale. When a stock is transacted, the broker checks the appropriate box. By mismarking the trading ticket, checking the long box, when it's actually a short sale, the short never shows up unless they get caught, which, is, which doesn't happen often. The position usually gets reconciled when the short covers. 
settlement of a stock transaction is supposed to occur within three days, at which time a naked short should become a fail to deliver. However, the SEC routinely and automatically grants a number of extensions before the naked shorts gets reported as failed to deliver. Most of the short hedge funds and the broker dealers have multiple entities, many offshore, so they sell large naked short positions from ent entity to entity. Position roles, as they are called, are frequently done broker to broker or hedge fund to hedge fund in block trades that never appear on the exchange. Each movement resets the time clock for the naked position, becoming a fail to deliver and is a means of quickly getting a company off the SHO threshold list. <laughs> the prime brokers or others may do a buy-in of a naked short position if they sell, if they tell the short hedge fund that they were going to buy in at 359 Eastern Standard Time on Friday, the hedge fund naked shorts into their own buy-in or has a co-conspirator do it and roll, rolls their position, hence circumventing the red reg SHO. Most of the large broker dealers operate internationally, so when regulators come in, they almost always call ahead or compliance people come in, ditto, Large naked positions are moved out of the country and returned at a later date. The stock lend is enormous, enormously profitable for the broker dealers who charge the short sellers a large fees for the borrowed shares, whether they are real or counterfeit. When the shares are loaned to short, they are supposed to remain with the short until he covers the position by purchasing real shares. The broker dealers do one one day lens, which enables the short to identify to the SEC the account that the shares were borrowed from. As soon as the report is sent in, the shares are returned to the broker dealer to be loaned to the next short. This allows eight to 10 shorts to borrow to the same shares, resetting the SHO fail to deliver clock each time, which makes all of the counterfeit shares look like legitimate shares. The broker dealers charge each short for the stock lend. Margin account buyers. Because of loopholes in the rules inadvertently aid the shorts. If a short if short A sells a naked short, he has three days to deliver the borrowed share. If the counterfeit share is purchased in a margin account, it is immediately put into the stock lend and for a fee is available as a borrowed share to the short who counterfeited it in the first place. This process is perpetually fluid with multiple parties, but it serves to create more counterfeit shares and is an example of how counterfeit shares get laundered into legitimate borrowed share. Margin accounts agreements give the broker deal dealers the right to lend those shares without notifying the account owner shares held in cash accounts ira accounts and other restricted shares are not supposed to be loaned without express consent of the account owner broker dealers have been known to change cash accounts to margin accounts without telling the owner take shares from ira accounts take shares from cash accounts and lend restricted shares. 
One of the prime brokers recently took a million shares from cash accounts of a company's found, founding investors without telling the owners or the stockbroker who represented ownership. The shares were put into the stock lens, which got the company off the SHO threshold list and opened the door for more manipulative shorting. This is this this is a simple tactics used. For a company that is under attack, counterfeit shares that exist at this X clearing tier can be 10 or 20 times the number of fails to deliver, which is only category tracked and policed by the SEC. Continuous net settlement. The third tier of counterfeiting occurs at the DTC level, the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation. It is a holding company by major broker dealers and has four subsidiaries. The subsidiaries that are the interest of the Depository Trust Company and the National Securities Clearance Corporation. The DTC has an account for each broker dealer, which is further broken down to each customer of that broker dealer. These accounts are electronic entities, entries. 97% of the actual stock certificates are in a vault at the DTC with DTC nominees name on them. The NSCC processes transaction, provides the broker dealers with central clearing source and operates the stock borrow program. When a broker dealer processes the sale of a short sale, short share, the broker dealer has three days to deliver the borrowed share to a purchaser and a purchaser has three days to deliver the money. In the old days, if the buyer did not receive his shares by settlement day, three days after the trade, he took his money back and undid the transaction. When the stock borrow program and electronic transfers were put in place in 1981, this all changed. At the point the SCC guaranteed the performance of the buyers and sellers would settle the transaction even though the seller was now a fail to deliver on the shares he sold. The buyer has counterfeit has a counterfeit share in his account, but the NSCC transacts as if it was real. At the end of each day, if a broker dealer has sold more shares of a given stock than he has in his account with the DTC, he borrows shares from the NSCC who borrows them from the broker dealers who have a surplus of shares. So far as it sounds like the whole system is in balance and for every given stock, any given stock, the net number of shares in the DTC is equal to the number of shares issued by the company. The short seller who has sold naked, he has no borrowed shares, can cure his fail to deliver position and avoid the required force to buy in by borrowing the shares through the NSCC stock borrow program. Here is the hocus pocus that creates millions of counterfeit shares. When a broker dealer has a net surplus of shares of any given company in his account with the DTC, only the net amount is deducted from his surplus position and put in the stock borrow program. However, the broker dealer does not take a like of number of shares from his customers individual accounts the net surplus position is loaned to the second broker dealer to cover his net deficit position let's say a customer at the second broker dealer purchased shares from a naked short seller counterfeit shares his broker dealer delivers those shares to his account from the shares borrowed from the DTC 
the lending broker did not take the shares from any specific customer's account, but the borrowing broker dealer put the borrowed shares in a specific customer's accounts. Now, the customer at the second prime broker has his real shares in the account. The problem is, is that the same, the same real shares that are in the customer's account at the first prime broker. The customer's account at the second prime broker now has a real share, which the prime broker can lend to the short who makes a short sale and delivers that share to a third party. Now there are three investors with the same counterfeit shares in their accounts. Because the DTC stock borrow program and their debits and credits that go back and forth between the broker dealers only deals with the net difference, it gets it never gets reconciled to the actual number of shares issued by the company. As long as the broker dealers don't repay the total stock borrow and the only settle their net differences, they can grow a company's issued stock. This process is called continuous net settlement, CNS, and it hides billions of counterfeit shares that never make it to the reg SHO radar screen as the shares borrowed from the DTC are treated as legitimate borrowed shares. For companies that are under attack, the counterfeit shares that are created by the CNS program are thought to be in a 10 or 20 times the disclosed to fail deliver, and the true CNS totals are only obtained successfully by serving the DTC with a subpoena. The SEC doesn't even get this information. The actual process is more complex and arcane than this but at the end result is accurately depicted x clearing and cns counterfeiting are used to create an enormous reserve of counterfeit shares the industry refers to these as strategic fails to deliver most people would refer to these as a stockpile of counterfeit shares that can be used for market manipulation one emerging company for which we have been able to get or make reasonable estimates of, a, of the total short interest, the disclosed short interest, the available stock lend to fails to deliver has 50 quote buried counterfeit shares for every fail to deliver to share, which is the only thing that the SEC tracks. Consequently, the SEC has not acted on shareholder complaints that the stock is being manipulated. The anatomy of the short attack. Abusive shorting are not random acts of renegade hedge funds, but rather a coordinated business plan that is carried out by a collusive consortium of hedge funds and prime brokers with the help of their friends at the DTC and major clearinghouses. Potential target companies are identified, analyzed, and prioritized. The attack is planned to the most minute detail. The plan consists of taking a large short position then crushing the stock price and if possible putting the company into bankruptcy. Bankrupt bankrupting the company is a short home run because they never have to buy real shares to cover 
and they don't pay taxes on the ill-gotten gain. When it's time to drive the stock price down, a blitzkrieg is unleashed against the company by a cabal of short hedge funds and prime brokers. The playbook is very similar from attack to attack, and the participating prime brokers and lead shorts are fairly consistent as well. Typical tactics include the following, flooding the offer side of the board, especially no, ultimately, the price of the stock is found at the bottom point where the supply, offer, and demand bid for the shares find equilibrium. This equation happens every day for every stock traded. On days when more people want to buy, want to buy than want to sell, the price goes up. And conversely, when the shares are offered for sale exceed the demand, the price goes down. The shorts manipulate the laws of supply and demand by flooding the offer side with counterfeit shares. They will do what is called a short down ladder. It works as follows. Short A will sell counterfeit shares at $10. Short B will purchase that counterfeit share covering previously open position. Short B will then offer a short counterfeit share at nine. Short A will hit that offer or short B will come down and hit short A's bid. Short A buys the share for nine covering his open position and booking a profit of dollar. Repeating By repeating this process, the shorts can put the stock price in a downward spiral. If there happens to be a significant long buying then the short draws from their reverse strategic fails to deliver and flood the market with an avalanche of counterfeit shares that overwhelm the buy side demand. Attack days routinely see 80% or more of the shares offered for sale as counterfeit. Company news days are company news days are frequently attack days since the news will mask the extraordinary high volume. It doesn't matter whether it's good news or bad news. Flooding the market with shares requires foot soldiers to swamp the market with counterfeit shares. An offshore hedge fund devised remarkably effective incentive program that motivates the traders as certain broker dealers. Each trader was given a debit card to a bank account that only he could access. The trader's performance was tallied and based upon the number of shares moved and the other success parameters, the hedge fund will wire money into the bank account daily. At the end of each day, the, trailer, the traders went to an ATM and drew out of their bribe, instant gratification. Global Links Corporations is an example of how wholesale counterfeiting of shares would decimate a company's stock price. Global Links is a company that provides pr computer services to the real estate industry. By early 2005, their stock price had dropped to a fraction of a cent. At that point, an investor, Robert Simpson, purchased 100% of Global Links, 1,158,064 issued outstanding shares. He immediately took delivery of his shares and filed the appropriate forms with the SEC disclosing he owned all of the company's stock. His total investment was 5205 The share price 
was uh, 0.0034 cents. The day after he acquired all the company shares, the volume on the over-the-counter market was 37 million shares. The following day saw 22 million shares change hands, all without Simpson trading a single share. It is possible that the SEC have been conducting a secret investigation, but that would be difficult without the company's involvement. It is more likely the SEC had not done anything about this fraud. Massive counterfeiting can drive the stock price down in a matter of hours on extremely high volume. This is called crashing the stock, and a successful crash is a one-day drop of 20% or 35% drop in a week in order to make the market to make the crash stick or make it more effective. It is done concurrently with, with all or most of the following. Media assault. The shorts in order to realize the profit must ultimately put the victim into bankruptcy or obtain shares at a price much cheaper than what they were shorted at. These shares come from the investing public who panics and sells into, into the manipulation. Panic is induced with assistance from the financial media. The shorts have friendly reporters with the Dow Jones News Agency, the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, New York Times, Garnet Publications, USA Today, CNBC, and others. The common thread, a number of friendly reporters work for thestreet.com, an internet advisory service that short hedge fund managers David Rocker and Jim Cramer own. This alumni association supported the short attack by producing slanted, libelous, innuendo-laden stories that disparaged the company that was being crashed. One of the more outrageous stories was a front-page story in the USA Today during a short crash of Taser stocks on price in uh, two, June 2005. The story was almost a full page, and the reporter concluded that Taser's electrical jolt was the same as the electric chair, proof positive that tasers did, did indeed kill innocent people. To reach the conclusion that the report overestimated tasers amperage by a factor of one million times, this quote mistake was made despite a detailed technical briefing by taser to seven USA edit Today editors two weeks prior to the story. The explanation due to mathematical error appeared three days later after the damage was done to the stock price. Jim Cramer in a video taped interview with TheStreet.com best described with the media function. When shorting, the hedge fund mode is to not do anything remotely truthful because the truth is so against your view. So the hedge funds create a new truth that is development of fiction. You hit the brokerage houses with a series of orders a short down ladder that pushes the price down. When we go to the press, you have a vicious cycle down. It's a pretty good game. This interview, which is more than likely a confession, was never supposed to get on air. However, it somehow ended up on YouTube. Kramer and TheStreet.com have made repeated efforts with some success to get it taken off of YouTube. Analysis reports. Some alleged independent analysis were actually paid by the shorts to write slanted negative ranting reports. The reports, which were represented as being independent, were ghostwritten by the shorts and dismantled, 
disseminated to coincide with the short attack, there was a congressional testimony in a matter where a matter of gradient analytic and rocker partners that expands upon this. These liables, liableist reports would then become the story of an aforementioned quote friendly media. All were designed to panic small investors into selling their stock into manipulation. Planting moles in target companies. The shorts plants moles inside target companies. The moles can be as high as directors, as low as janitors. They steal confidential information, which is fed to shorts who may feed it to the friendly media. The information may not even be true. Maybe out of context or stolen documents may be altered. Things that are supposed to be confidential like SEC preliminary inquiries end up as front page news with the short friendly media. Frivolous SEC investigations. The shorts, the shorts leak tips to the SEC about corporate malfeasance by the target company. The SEC, which can take months for processing Freedom Information Act requests, swoops in as the supposed confidential inquiry is leaked in the short media. The plethora of corporate rules means that the SEC may ultimately find minor transgressions or there may be no findings. Occasionally, they do uncover an Enron, but the initial lead can be counted on to drive the stock price down 25%. The announcement of no little no or little findings comes months later, but, but by then the damage has already been done to the stock price is irreversible. irreversible. The San Francisco office of the SEC appears to be particularly close to short community. Class action lawsuits. Based on leaked stories of SEC investigations or other media exposes a handful of law firms immediately file class action shareholder suits. Milberg Weiss reported they were disbanded as a result of the Justice Department investigation could be counted on to file a class action suit against a company that was under short attack. Allegations of accounting improprieties that were made in the complaint will be reported as being the truth by the short friendly media, again causing panic among small investors. Interfering with target companies, customers, financial financings, etc. If the shorts became aware of clients, customers, or financings that the target companies were working on, they would call and tell the lies or otherwise attempt to persuade the customer to abandon the transaction. Allegedly, the shorts have gone so far as to bribe public officials to dissuade them from using a company's product. Pulling margin from long customers. The clearinghouse and broker dealers who finance margin accounts will suddenly pull all long margin availability, citing very transparent reasons for the abrupt change in lending policy. This causes a flood of margin selling, which further drives the stock price down and gets the shorts the cheap long shares they need to cover. Paid bashes. <laughs> the shorts will hire bashes who invade the message board of the company. The bashers disguise themselves as legitimate investors and try to persuade or panic small investors into selling or manipulation. This is not every dirty trick that the shorts use when they are crashing the stock 
almost every victim company experiences most of these tactics. How pervasive is this? At any given point, in a, in a time more than 100 emerging companies are under attack as described above. This is not to be confused with the day-to-day -day shorting that occurs in virtually every stock, which is purportedly about 30% of the daily volume. The success rate for short attacks is over 90%, a success being defined as putting the company into bankruptcy or driving the stock price to pennies. It is estimated that a thousand small companies have been put out of business by the shorts. Admittedly, not every company deserves to succeed, but they do deserve a level playing field. The secrecy that surrounds the shorts the prime brokers and the DTC and regulatory agencies make it impossible to accurately estimate how much money has been stolen from the investing public by these predators, but the total is measured in billions of dollars. The problem is also international in scope. Who profits from this illicit activity? The short answer is everyone who participates, specifically the shorts. They win over 90% of the time. Their return on investment is enormous because they don't put any capital up when they sell short. They get cash from the sale delivered to their account. As long as the stock price remains under their short sale price, it is all profit on little investment. The prime brokers. The shorts need prime brokers to aid in counterfeiting shares, which is the cornerstone of the fraud. Not only do, do prime brokers get sales commission and interest on margin accounts, they charge the shorts interest on borrowed shares. This can be as high as 5% per week. The prime brokers allegedly make $8 to $10 billion a year from their short stock lend program. The prime brokers also actively short the victim companies making large trading profits. The DTC. A significant amount of the counterfeiting occurs at the DTC level. They charge the shorts interest on the borrowed shares, whether it is legitimate stock borrow or counterfeit shares, as the case in the vast majority of shares of the company under attack. The amount of the profit that the DTC receives is unknown because it is, private, it is a private company owned by prime brokers. The cover-up. The securities industry certain respected members of corporate America who like the profits from illegal shorting, certain criminal elements and our federal government do not want the public to become aware of this problem. The reason for the cover-up is money. Everyone, including our elected officials, gets lots of money. Consequently, there is an active campaign to keep a lid on information. The denial about these illegal practices comes from the industry, the DTC, the SEC, and certain members of Congress. They are always delivered in blanket generalities. If indeed there is no problem, as they claim, then why don't they show us the evidence instead of actively and aggressively fighting or deflecting every attempt to obtain information that is easily accessible for them and impossible for companies' investors? Accusers are counter-attacked as being sour grapes, losers, lunatics, or opportunistic lawyers trying to unjustly enrich themselves. Death threats are not an unheard of occurrence. The securities industry counters with a campaign of misinformation. For example, 
They proudly pointed out that 1% of the dollar volume of listed securities are failed to deliver. What they don't mention is that the fails to deliver are concentrated in companies being attacked. For companies under attack, for every disclosed to fail to deliver, there may be even 10 to 40 times that number of undisclosed counterfeit shares. Companies under attack have seen their stock price depressed to a small fraction of the price of the average share. Therefore, the fails to deliver as a percentage of number of shares is considerably higher than, than as of the percentage of dollar volume. The examples cited are limited to the listed companies, but much of the abuse occurs in the over-the-counter market, regional exchanges or unregulated foreign exchanges that allow naked shorting of American companies who are not even aware they are being traded on foreign exchange. Why does this continue to happen? It is no accident that the most pervasive financial fraud in history, in the history of this country continues unabated. The securities industry advances its agenda on multiple fronts. Number one, the truth about counterfeiting remains locked away with the perpetrators of the fraud. The prime brokers, hedge funds, and SEC are shrouded in secrecy. They actively and aggressively resist the request for the truth, be it with subpoena or otherwise. Congressional subpoenas are treated with almost as much disdain as civil subpoenas. The body of securities law at the federal level is so stacked in favor of the industry that it is almost impossible to successfully sue for a securities fraud in federal court. For example, in a normal fraud case, a complaint can be filed based upon information and belief that a fraud has been committed. The court then allows a plaintiff to subpoena evidence and depose witnesses, including defendants from discovery, including defendants. From this discovery, the plaintiff then attempts to prove his case. Federal securities fraud cases can't be filed upon information and belief. You must have evidence first in order to not have the complaint immediately dismissed for failure to state a cause of action. This information is not available from the defendants, see above, without subpoenas. But if you can't issue a subpoena because you can't get but you can't issue a subpoena because the case gets dismissed before discovery is open. This is only one example of the ter terrible inequities that exist in federal securities law. The SEC is supposed to protect the investing public from Wall Street predators. While some SEC staffers are underpaid, overworked, honest civil servants, the top echelons of the SEC frequently end up in high-paying Wall Street jobs. Click here for more on former SEC Administrator Richard Sawyer. The five-person board, five board of governors who oversees the SEC is dominated by the industry. The governors are presidential appointees and the industry usually fills three slots, frequently including the chairmanship. For those rare occasions when the SEC prosecutes an industry insider, the cases almost never go to a judgment or criminal conviction. The securities company settles for a fine and no finding of guilt. 
The fine, which may seem like a large sum, is insignificant in the context of an industry that earned $35 billion in 2006. Fines, settlements, and legal expenses are just the cost of doing business for Wall Street. The root cause of the impossibly skewed federal laws and the ineffectiveness of the SEC and other regulatory bodies rest squarely upon our elected officials. The security industry contributes heavily to both parties at the presidential and congressional levels. As long as the public is passive about securities reform, our elected officials are happy to take the money, which at the federal level was $65 million in 2006. The Democrats swept into power with the promise of ethics reform. The majority of the Congress allowed Christopher Dodd to extend to chairmanship of the Senate Banking Committee which regulates the securities industry. His largest single contributor, 175,400, in the first quarter of 2007 was employees of SAC Capital, a very aggressive short hedge fund. Are we surprised that Dodd had opposed additional regulation of hedge funds? They're virtually unregulated. Some states have their own security laws and their own enforcement arms. Certain states, including Connecticut, Illinois, Utah, Louisiana, and others have begun active enforcement on their own laws. The state laws are not not nearly as pro-industry as federal laws, and plaintiffs are having success. To thwart this, the industry, with the support of the SEC, is attempting to have the federal court system and the federal agencies be the sole venue of security matters. The SEC is working hand-in-hand with the industry to advance this theory of federal preemption, which will put all security matters under federal law, all litigation in federal courts, and all enforcement with the SEC. The following are recent examples of how the SEC is advancing the industry agenda. The San Francisco office of the SEC issued subpoenas to various short, friendly media outlets after congressional hearings about David Rocker and Gradient Analytics. This investigation into the media involvement with the shorts was ended by chairman of the SEC, Christopher Cox, who withdrew the subpoenas, apparently concluding the First Amendment right to free speech protected participants in alleged stock manipulation. Jim Cramer ripped up his subpoena on on his television show, thumbing his nose at the SEC. In early 2007, the SEC completely exonerated Gradient, citing Gradient's First Amendment rights. The Nevada Supreme Court heard the case captioned uh, Nano Pierce versus DTCC. Nano Pierce is an emerging company that was attacked by the shorts and subject to massive counterfeiting of their stock by the DTCC. The state court case is closed to opening discovery against the DCC. So the industry is attempting to kill the lawsuit by arguing it should be in federal court where it will be dead on arrival. The SEC showed up as a friend of the defendant, DTCC, and filed a brief in support of the DTCC efforts to remove the case to federal system. Both houses of the Utah legislature passed a bill that required daily disclosure of fails to deliver, including identifying specific companies that specific broker-dealer positions in that company. The bill also outlawed naked shorting of the companies domiciled in Utah. The industry threatened litigation upon federal preemption that backed the state down. 
The bill was not signed into law. A bill was introduced in the Arizona legislature to require disclosure, required disclosure similar to Utah bill, but without the illegal naked shorting provision. This is the same information that the DTC confidently proves to the, provides to the SEC. Certain prime brokers lobbying effort allegedly managed to get the bill killed in the committee. The industry's effort to curtail state authority is an effort to draw all security matters under federal umbrella where small investors don't have a chance in obtaining justice. In February 2007, the SEC determined that the hedge fund industry did not require any additional regulation. They are virtually unregulated. This may be the height of arrogance. In an effort to thwart political efforts to regulate hedge funds and clean up Wall Street, the industry is advancing politically politically the theory of a counterparty discipline. Essentially, what they are arguing is akin to Al Capone calling the chief police and and telling him we don't need the police because we have rival gangs that would make sure everybody follows the rules. This argument is apparently at least partially subscribed to by the SEC and Christopher Dodd, chairman of the Senate Banking Commission, and Richard Shelby, former chairman and ranking member. Both senators are the beneficiaries of large amount of Wall Street generosity. The sources, information used was obtained from public records to SEC, the Leslie Bonney report to the SEC on shorting, evidence and testimony in court proceedings, conversations with attorneys who are involved in securities litigation, former SEC employees, conversations with management of victim companies, and first-hand experience as investors in companies that have suffered short attacks. This website is sponsored by Citizens of Securities Reform. What to do? Many of our elected officials at the federal and state level do not understand most of what is contained in this paper. They must come to understand that this fraud and more importantly understand that their constituents are angry. Pass this information to everyone you know. Put it in the public conscience, then the citizenry needs to engage in massive letter writing cam- campaign. Feel free to attach this report. Make sure your elected officials at your federal level, federal and state level know how you feel. Ultimately, votes in the home district will trump money from the outside. Disclaimer, in compiling the information contained in this website, the author relied on sources both public and private and for the most part accepted the information from the source as reliable as explained herein considerable secrecy surrounds the activity being activities being alleged in this report which may result in conclusions that are speculative inaccurate or the opinion of the author to the extent to a source was inaccurate or provided incomplete information The author takes no responsibility for the same and does not intend that anyone rely on such information in order to make decisions to believe or disbelieve a particular person, position, point of view, or alleged fact or circumstances. Under no circumstances does this author intend to cause any harm to any person, entity, as a result of the conclusions made 
or information provided. Each reader is cautioned to draw his own conclusions about the provided information and before relying on the same to perform his own due diligence and research.